but I've got lots of blessings. So um, turn in your Bibles to, we are finishing, this is not a typical Christmas message. Next week we will have uh, an abbreviated message, but we'll have a, a Christmas service on Christmas Eve morning. We'd invite you to come back for that. The whole service is going to be an hour total. So if that gets you an idea, it will be focused primarily on proclaiming the good news and celebrating the news of Jesus. And we're looking forward to that. Bring friends, neighbors, guests, and the like. But this morning, we're actually closing. We've been in a series in the book of Romans for about a year. So we are finishing up our final Sunday in the book of Romans this morning so that we can start afresh in the new year. After a few weeks, we're going to be starting in the book of Nehemiah. So if you want to start reading ahead, you can do that. If you are a part of the church, we'd love to have you start reading ahead in the book of Nehemiah. But for this morning, we're going to finish up with the book of Romans. So turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 16. We'll be finishing Romans 16, verses 17 to 27. And one of the things that we do from time to time, and I'm going to have you do again this morning, is that from time to time we stand for the reading of God's word because we want to honor God's word as unique as as what is only, the only solely inspired thing you will hear this morning. It is completely inerrant in his word as, as far as it's communicated. So please stand for the reading of God's word. We want to worship God as we hear his word proclaimed. This is God's holy word. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me in the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus greets you. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forevermore, Through Jesus Christ, amen. You may be seated. This is God's word. Let's pray. God, thank you for your goodness in giving us your word. You did not leave us alone. You did not leave us without instruction. You did not leave us without encouragement. You've given us your word to instruct us, to equip us, to sustain us, to strengthen us. I pray this morning we would be strengthened by your word. We be established in your word this morning. I pray that you would encourage us this morning by your promises. And I pray, God, this would result in praise to you. And I pray that you would enable me as I preach, give me the gift of your spirit to proclaim your word. And Lord, enable each and every person here, give your spirit so that we might have ears to hear from you and apply your word to our heart. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, many years ago, when I was much younger, 
I, I had the uh, privilege of working around a bunch of people in the United States intelligence community, and they were a unique group of people. They kind of keep to themselves. They, they don't talk a lot about what they do. They don't brag about what they do. And they have a sole mission and sole purpose. It's to discover what the truth is. That's, that's the purpose of, believe it or not, that's the purpose of the U.S. intelligence community is, is to discover the truth. To find it out through various means, through people, through systems, through processes, whatever. To find out the truth, to discover the truth. And then when they discover the truth, they take great pains to protect that truth. And they, they do a lot of things to protect the truth, both through human systems and other technologies and things like that. So they, they try to discern what the truth is. They, they find the truth out. They, they preserve it. They protect it so that they can proclaim it or, or give it to the policymakers so that the policymakers can hopefully do something with it. And, and I won't say anything about that. But what I could, what I could say something about is, is just the, the focus on the truth, on figuring the truth out, on receiving the truth, finding the truth out, and protecting it, keeping it safe so that it could be done something, somebody could be done with it because the truth is powerful. The CIA's motto, as I've shared before, it's actually, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It's straight from the Bible, right on the wall. Because the truth is important. The truth is powerful. The truth must be protected and preserved so that it can be proclaimed. And this morning, as the Apostle Paul, he is closing his letter to the church in Rome. And he, he, last week we saw that he has greeted them and he's encouraged the church to welcome one another. And then he almost finishes the letter. He almost finishes the letter. If you look earlier, prior in verse 20, he was kind of done. And he's already talked about, hey, greet the church. And by the way, to him be all glory and power and honor. Amen. And then he says, and greet, greet each other with a holy kiss because he wants them to share the welcome of Christ with each other. And, and then you think he's done. But it's almost as if as Paul is dictating this letter, and by the way, um, we'll get to that later, but there's a man named Tertius who's writing it down, probably because Paul had eyesight issues. So Paul's dictating this letter, and it's almost as if he gets to the point where he says, and, and I'm really encouraged, please tell them to welcome each other and share the warmth of Christ. And then he realizes, wait a minute, there's a danger though. There's a danger I need to warn them about. There's a danger that I don't want to close this letter without warning them about. There's a need here that I've given them so much truth. The book of Romans is chocked full of, of the, the most glorious truths of the Christian faith. If you were going to take one book, if you only had one book to take of the Bible, which God forbid that ever be the case, but if you could only take one book of the Bible, Romans contains all the central truths you need to know to how to follow the Lord and respond to him and live for him. It contains the most glorious truths in the entire Bible. History was changed as men read the book of Romans. Lives are changed. Our lives are changed as we've been going through the book of Romans. And so Paul, he realizes these wonderful truths he has, he has gotten for them, that he's discerned, that he's written down from God by the Holy Spirit. And he is wanting to make sure, though, as he leaves them, that, that they see the need to protect the truth, the truth that they've been given. And so he oddly kind of interrupts his closing and says, wait a minute, wait a minute, I, I appeal to you brothers, watch out. And which is very strange. You don't see that in any other Paul's letters. You don't see him closing his letter and then coming, kind of coming back again and say, well, wait a minute, I, I appeal to you to watch out. But in this letter, he does it because the truth is so important. He is aware that there'll be many Many people will come in trying to subvert the truth. And then many threats to the truth of the gospel will come in as well. Threats to the unity of the church, which actually undermines 
the testimony of the church and it undermines the ability of the church to communicate the gospel message. And so he talks to them about protecting the teaching or the doctrine. Now what Paul talks about teaching or doctrine, especially in the book of Romans, he's primarily talking about that whole body of teaching that surrounds the good news about Jesus Christ that includes everything from who we are, who God is, how do we relate to him, and the glorious truth that he's reconciled us to himself. And so Paul's concerned because he wants to make sure that the truth the the integrity of the teaching, of the doctrine, of the teaching about the gospel that is protected, it's preserved, so that it can be proclaimed. And and we see some truths here in this passage, and there's something for us, even in these final verses of Romans, I believe God wants us to see. And, And the main idea, I think, that the Lord wants us to see this morning is that in protecting the truth, in protecting the truth, God gives us his promise and his power. And we're going to see that. God, in protecting the truth, God gives us his promise and his power. Paul tells us to watch out. Watch out for those who would corrupt or cause divisions that are contrary to the doctrine or the teaching, the the gospel that we've been given. And then he gives us a promise, if you look down in your Bibles, he gives us a promise about how the God of peace will soon crush Satan. And then he doesn't just give us a promise he, he gives us his power, and he explains that he will strengthen us. He will establish us. He will give us his power. He warns them to watch out, though, and to avoid those who cause divisions. Watch out. Avoid those who cause divisions. I was thinking about in the intelligence community, if you have intelligence with you, and sometimes you cannot communicate that intelligence via technology. You have to carry it by human means, by your feet. You're taught to carry that or to courier it, and you're taught to watch out. You're taught to be on the lookout, to be aware of your surroundings, be aware of different people. And then generally, as an employee in the intelligence community, you're taught to be careful about who you become friends with and who is around you because you have to watch out. Some people will be really smooth. You know, it's sometimes spies, that's what people who try to steal information from you, they, they don't come in, in really obvious forms like in the movies. You know, they don't wear trench coats and dark sunglasses and they don't speak with a foreign accent. Often they come befriending you or try to act like they're on your side or they're for you. But really they have a subversive goal. They, they want to take the information that you have. They want to get information from you. And there were, there were common hangouts all in the Langley, Virginia area that we were told to avoid because it was known that there were people there who would be hanging out the bar just waiting for you to come in and they would they'd buy you a drink or whatever and they would, they would want to ingratiate themselves with you so that they could get information from you for their own purposes. And, and that's kind of the picture here. Paul's, Paul's warning us. He says, watch out. It watch out for those who cause divisions. He wants to make sure they're protecting the truth. That's the first principle that we see that Paul is trying to communicate as he's closing this letter. He wants to make sure the church protects the truth, the teaching, the doctrine. And really that truth is all about the good news of Jesus Christ. Actually, actually what Paul was all about. He could actually summarize his entire message when he wrote to the church in Corinth and said, I, I resolved to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. It doesn't mean that that's the only thing of the Christian truth, the message, the things that God's given us, but it can be condensed down to that is the goal. 
That's the main purpose. And Paul says, I appeal to you, watch out. But notice what he says to watch out for. He doesn't say watch out for threats from without. He doesn't say watch out for threats from outside of the church. He says watch out for those within the church who cause divisions. Watch out for those who cause divisions. Now why would he have to tell them that? Wouldn't it be obvious to those uh, who, who the people are who cause divisions, you think? But the reason why Paul's warning them is because it's not obvious. Division comes subtly. Division comes quietly often. Division comes by, by these subtle undermining, by subtle disagreements, subtle conflict. Division comes through subtle, hey, I don't really like what's being taught. I don't really agree with that entirely. What did you think of what he said this morning? Or, boy, the way that he said it, he should have said it differently. And divisions come in, they creep in very subtly. And so Paul says, watch out. This is not a new thing for him. He's been talking about, in Romans 14 and 15, all about the unity of the church. And the unity of the church is for a reason. It's so that it protects and preserves the good news of the gospel. And so that the church has integrity and says, hey, this message we've received that reconciles us to God, it also reconciles us to each other. And we want to live that out in integrity. And how we live with each other, it says something about the message we say we believe. If we live in unity, it says that God unifies us despite all of our differences, despite all of our preferences, despite all of the various things that seek to divide us. And so Paul says, be on the lookout that, for divisions and those things that create obstacles contrary to the doctrine or the teaching that you have been taught. And then he says something else, he says, avoid them. That's kind of surprising, isn't it? You know, in, in the church, when someone is caught in sin, there's a couple different ways of responding, very different ways of responding that are full of God's grace and meant to restore, meant to get people back into right relationship with God. And so you who are spiritual, when someone is caught in sin, restore them in a spirit of gentleness. If somebody's caught in sin, we're to, to seek to restore them. If someone, if you see your brother sinning, we're supposed to go to them privately between he and, he and us alone and then bring something to them. And then there's a process that we, we walk through slowly so that we can bring them back to God. And it's not a one and done, it's not a two and done, but it's a continual process of trying to get them to restore, be restored to God. So there's repentance. But in this case, and really it's the only kind of cases in the New Testament where scripture doesn't, it doesn't give a lot of leeway. It says... Avoid them. Watch out for those who cause divisions and, and things contrary to the teaching that you've had, contrary to the teaching about who Jesus is, who, who God is, who we are in him, how we're reconciled to him, the, the good news of the gospel, the core of the Christian faith. Watch out for those who cause divisions that threaten that, our ability to communicate that message, that threaten our ability to, to be a witness and a testimony to the unifying power of the gospel. So watch out for them. And then he says, avoid them. That's pretty shocking, isn't it? Avoid them. And why does he do that? He says, watch out for them and avoid them. Why? Because it is so important. The unity of the church, the unity of the message we preach is critical. Because why? The, the message we preach is the power of God for salvation to everybody who believes. And we don't want to do anything that will corrupt the integrity of our witness in proclaiming the most powerful message of the good news about Jesus Christ. And Paul's very concerned. We want to protect that. We don't want divisions contrary to the teachings. We want to avoid people who cause division. Elsewhere in Titus, he actually says, 
knowing, he says, that's for a person who is, stirs up division after warning him once and twice have nothing more to do with him. Knowing such a person is warped and sinful, he's self-condemned. What a serious warning it is against a person who stirs up division. He says, warn them two times, avoid them completely. And then you're like, why the serious reaction, Paul? You know, what's, what's the big deal? A little party spirit in the church, right? Now, I'm not talking about political parties. We don't have any one political party that we endorse or we prefer in the church. Um, we are all about the, protecting the good news of the gospel, not letting petty things like political parties or preferences divide us. And so Paul says, what, why it's really important is because if somebody undermines the unity of the church, it undermines the message we proclaim. And the message we proclaim is all important. The message we proclaim is that humanity is sinful and in need of being reconciled to God. Our biggest problem, the biggest problem with humanity, what Paul's been talking about all throughout the book of Romans is the biggest problem with humanity is not who you vote for. The biggest problem in humanity is not how you dress or what you look like. The biggest problem in humanity is not all these surface things. The biggest problem in humanity is that we have been separated from God by sin and we need to be reconciled with God so that he can remove sin from us and make us righteous in him and reconcile us to himself and make us in a right relationship. That's our big problem is sin. Our big problem is been dealt with though in Jesus Christ that, that God made a way for us to be reconciled in him by sending his own son to reconcile us to himself so that he, his son, would take that punishment, the penalty that we deserve for living a sinful life and all of our punishment we deserve would be put on him and then not only that, all of the right living that Jesus did when he lived a perfect life. If you've ever read the Gospels, you can look and see how in the world can he, everything he did was honored God in every way. And so God designed it so that he would take all of the, the good merit that, he, that Jesus earned for us and actually transfer it to us. God solved our biggest problem. And he's made us so that we can be in right relationship with him and have fellowship with him, that we can have his Holy Spirit with us to strengthen us, to be with us, to change us, to enable us to get through life. He doesn't promise life will be easy when you become a Christian. Actually, it gets harder. But he promises he'll never leave us, he'll never forsake us. He promises that when we're too weak to pray, the Holy Spirit prays for us. He promises that he won't withhold anything that we truly need to honor him and glorify him, that he'll give us everything we need to get through life in a way that honors God and fulfills the purpose that he's made us for. These are great and glorious truths, and Paul wants to protect that truth. And he wants the the church to protect the truth. And then look down at verse 18. He says, For such persons don't serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. They don't serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And he says, And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. You know, it, there's a lot of smooth talk going on all around us that tries to just subtly change the truth of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It tries to water it down and makes it more palatable, makes it more appealing. When you say, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to give into, into the, the falsehood that flatterers and smooth talkers try to give. He says, such people don't serve our Lord Christ but their own appetites. It's a big deal because they aren't serving Jesus, they're serving themselves. So sometimes 
That doesn't mean necessarily that these are not believers, but as people are causing divisions, they're serving their own appetites, they're serving their own purposes, their own desires, either trying to promote themselves or their own agenda or their own, whatever their own desires are. That's what he's talking about. And Proverbs actually says that people who sow discord among brothers, in Proverbs 6, 16 and 19, we're not gonna read the whole verse, but in the last part of the verse there, if you look in verse 19, it says, and one who sows discord among the brothers, these, if you look back at the first part, are six things the Lord hates. And in that list is included murder. People who lie, give false witness, and people who sow discord among the brothers. This is really important to God. Why? Because it's, it's all about the integrity of the message that God has given, and we give testimony to the integrity of the message by by how we live out in respons- our lives in response to that message. God hates, it says, the one who sows discord, just like he hates the people who murder. He says, watch out, avoid them. Division comes in a, in a lot of different forms, but it's, it's motivated by self-seeking. It's motivated by seeking your own agenda, seeking your own desires, seeking what you think is best, what you think is right, instead of submitting your desires to what God says is right. And Paul gives a couple reasons why we need to protect the truth. And he gives us, look in, in, in verse 18, he tells us to protect the truth. Why? Because the naive can be deceived. You know, you might understand the truth and think it's no big deal when people are subtly causing division. You can recognize it and you can ignore that. But he says, no, have nothing to do with them. Avoid them because... It's going to lead other people astray. So he gives us a reason why. He says four. And then he gives us another four. Look down at verse 19. He says, For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what's good and innocent to what's evil. What's Paul talking about here? He said, yeah, I want you to protect the truth of what you've been taught. Why? For, for people can be led astray. Now the second four in verse 19. For, it's all about your witness. Your Christian witness is involved here. How you protect the truth is seen in your Christian witness. He says, your obedience is known to all. It is clear you live out a life of obedience to God. You live a life that shows that you believe what you say you believe. Sorry, that you live out what you say you believe. If you say you believe the truth and you live it out, he says, your obedience is known to all. I rejoice over you. But I want to make sure that you're wise to what's good and that you are innocent as to what is evil. I want to make sure you keep your reputation intact, not for your sake, but for the sake of the message that you've been given. He says, keep your witness of understanding and doing what's good and abhor what's evil out of worship to one another. He said, and that's really in the context of, of abhorring the evil of division, of, of corrupting the message of the good news and then being wise to what is good. He doesn't want us to be defiled by evil and it's contrary to the teaching that says, in order to understand the world around me, in order to be a witness, I kind of need to know or be familiar with the evil of the world. You know, I don't really know how, I don't know how people who don't believe in God live, so I'm going to actually try to get, figure that out so that I, I'm going to try to experiment and do some of those things because I want to see what that's like. And God says, no, uh, I don't want you to do that. I want you to be innocent as to what is evil. We don't need to participate in evil things or watch evil things just to understand them. You know, it's, it's commonly known the way to train a person to detect counterfeit $100 bills is to show them the true thing and train them about what to look for that's true. 
You don't need to be a part of evil to understand that it's evil. He says, be wise, be innocent as to what's evil. You'll know what's genuinely evil if you are a, a Christian, if you are holding fast to the truth, so to avoid it, get, get far away for it, from it. And be on guard for the sake of the gospel message and our, and our gospel testimony. And then here's the, the wonderful, glorious promise we're giving. He says, knowing that God will give us victory over Satan. Look down in your Bibles in verse 20. The second principle we're gonna see is that in protecting the truth, we are given this promise of peace. We're given a promise of peace. That's good news. You know, sometimes we feel like we're gonna be overwhelmed by the world around us. We're gonna be overwhelmed by the chaos around us. We're gonna be overwhelmed by our enemy, the devil, by Satan. And yet he says, he gives us a promise of peace in protecting the truth. He says in verse 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Notice he doesn't say you have to. He doesn't say you do it. He gives us a promise. He says the God of peace will. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And, and the way that he, in, in this context, I believe what he's talking about is, is how Satan actually works in, tries to subvert the truth, like a spy coming in from the outside, does it through flattery and deceit. He tries to subvert the truth by causing division. And so how does God crush Satan as we protect that truth as we discern as we watch out the God of peace then will soon crush Satan under your feet it reminds us of the great promise that God gave when he cursed the snake in the in the in the garden when man sinned against God and God came down and there were consequences for that God was merciful in not immediately killing Adam because he said and that day you will surely die and yet God did not immediately kill Adam he was merciful and gracious but he cursed man for disobeying him and so man was cursed but then he curses the serpent who was a figure of Satan and he he gave a curse to the serpent and he says you will bruise the seed of the woman but he will crush your head and in the, in the light of the New Testament, we can see that that was really a prophetic curse that God was giving, a picture of one day his son would come and would crush the head of the serpent, crush Satan. One day his son would come and completely dominate and put Satan under his feet. But in this verse, he says something shocking. He says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Isn't that surprising? Under our feet. As, as we as we carry out and we protect and preserve the gospel messages, we are a witness and a testimony to the gospel. God actually crushes the authority, the dominance, the power of Satan under our feet. As we carry, our feet carry out the gospel message. He says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. I grew up in Virginia, it's the, my home state, although I've now adopted South Carolina as my home state and adopted Clemson as well. I, I, I almost said glory be to God, but that might be a little sacrilegious, I think. Uh, so, but my home state of Virginia, I've got the, the motto, I think, of our flag, a state flag here for you, if you can see that up there. Is it up there? The motto, excellent, it's coming, Perfect. This is supposed to be Lady Virtue, and she's standing with her chest. It's a pretty vivid picture of a state flag, and it says, Six Semper Tyrannus, which means thus always to tyrants. And 
I love that this was from back in the 1700s and it still remains as the, the state motto or state logo, if you will, of the, on the flag. And it's six Semper Tyrannus and virtue is standing on top of what I believe was originally meant to be King George. And, and the king is dethroned and the king is on his back, which is a submissive posture. The king is on his back, no longer a king. He's dethroned. The king, although he's in royal robes, is no longer royal. He's on the ground. And the king is subverted. He is overcome. He is powerless. And his crown lies behind him. He no longer has authority. There's a, it's a very vivid imagery, very vivid picture here of virtue overcoming. Virtue overcoming tyranny. And, and I love that picture because this, that's the picture that really Paul's giving us. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. It's as if God is putting Satan under our feet. And when we carry the virtue of truth of the good news of the gospel. God crushes Satan under our feet. He subdues and dethrones. As believers in, in Rome, they, as they were guarding the gospel message and their testimony about who God is, who they are in Jesus Christ, as they guard against people who cause division, then the plans and attempts of the devil are crushed under their feet. I love that picture. It's a glorious promise. God will subdue the rule of Satan through the guarding of their gospel and obedience and response to the gospel. And then in the middle of that, it's Paul gets a little excited. And in, I imagine he's in the room. He's finishing up dictating his letter to Tertius. And, and his fellow workers are around him. And they kind of interject. And so we have these, these three verses that, that really are just kind of an aside. They're a little bonus material in the middle of the letter. In the middle of his closing here. And he says, hey, by the way, Timothy, my fellow worker. And I think it's not just ad hoc he got excited, but he's also showing these because he's showing the power of the gospel to unite. Timothy, he's not a Jew. God has brought in to become a Christian. He's his fellow worker. It's actually become like a son to the apostle. He says he greets you. So did Lucius. Some people think that may or may not be Luke. Jason and Sosipater, his actually relatives who were his fellow kinsmen. They were Jews. His relatives became believers and gives faith to me. And then it says, I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Something interesting to note there is Tertius, for any of those, anybody here ever take Latin when you were in school? I, you know, I, I, you can raise your hand. You don't be embarrassed about that. I'm not sure why, but um, a lot of us took Latin. My, my wife went to a classical school where she took Latin for many years. And I, I guess the idea is that it helps you in other languages. But one of the things about the, the Latin is that you will know that Tertius means third. And so this guy, third, is writing the letter and why that's important is because they only gave those names to slaves that were born into a household. Slaves were, were primus, secundus, tertius, and quartus. You know, first, second, third, and fourth. Wasn't that a great name? What's your name, primus? What's your name, secundus? What's your name, tertius? Because <laughs> I'm third. You know, good thing we don't name our own kids those things, you know. I don't know what six would be, sextus, I think, or something like that. But anyway, um, so why is it important? Why does he write these names? So Tertius, he wants us to see that that's another testimony to the power of the good news of Jesus Christ to rescue slaves and to unite people both from Gentile and Jew and slaves alike. And it may be his brother as well because later on a couple of verses he says, and Quartus, the fourth, the fourth slave, who may or may not have been a Tertius brother, I don't know, but he was at least the fourth slave born in a house. So he greets you too. And then he says, Gaius, who's host with me to, and to the whole church, which is kind of notable because this guy was so rich that he could host the entire church of Corinth when they gathered in his home. And then he says, in Erastus, the city 
It says in the ESV, the city treasurer, it's, it's more literally the director of public works or the city manager for all of Corinth. Uh, it'd be like the operations manager for the city of Corinth, really. And, and he lists all these people. And I think he does that not just as an aside and because they're excited, but because he is saying, these people too greet you because they're giving testimony to the power of the good news of the gospel to transform lives from all classes here, from Jew, from Gentile, from slave, from the uber-wealthy to the people who are really prominent, important in politics. The gospel is powerful. And so in the middle of this, he kind of gives us a demonstration. And he's been warning us to guard the unity of the testimony of the gospel in the church. He gives us a sure promise in guarding the gospel. And then he comes back again after he gives a little side there. And he says that there's a sure strength that we can trust in to guard this gospel message and witness. He says, third principle we need to see is that in protecting the truth, we are given the power to persevere. We're given the power to persevere. Look at verse 25. He says, now to him who's able, that's, that's actually, I'll slow down and go back again. What's that third word there? Now to, say it out loud, please. Him. Isn't that good news? Our ability to continue on, to be strong in the faith, to persevere, to protect the truth, our ability to stand firm as Christians does not rely on us. This is now to him who is able. Now to him who is able, we are not able, he is able. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, now that word for strengthen also means establish, he's able to strengthen you, he's able to establish you according to my gospel. How does God strengthen us? He strengthens us and establishes us, he's able to do that, and how does he primarily do that? According to the gospel, this good news about Jesus Christ. It's not just a once and done for like, when I'm an unbeliever and I'm really bad and I hear this good news and I respond, no, he says, this is something we live by every day, that's how he strengthens us. But he does it. He strengthens us according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. That's how I know that when he's talking about protecting the doctrine or watching out and guarding that doctrine, he's talking about the gospel because he's telling us here what that is. He says, according to the gospel, the preaching of Jesus Christ. That's the doctrine that we need to watch out for the people who might seek to divide. He says, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, for so much of human history. They didn't see and understand the truth fully. They had the truth before them, but didn't fully see it. And yet in the purposes of God in sending his son, he revealed the mystery that was hidden for long ages. Now, I want to make just a brief explanation in case you're wondering, you have a Bible, and you're wondering, why is there a verse 24 that's blank? Um, there's a reason in a lot of the early manuscripts that the King James Bible used, which back in the 16, I guess 11, when the King James Bible was published, they used some early manuscripts, and one of those manuscripts, it repeated verse 20 in verse 24. And so you had the final line of verse 20 that got repeated in verse 24, and, and that was repeated again in a couple other manuscripts that relied on that manuscript, and it was probably a scribal error of just repeating that line and, and so in later manuscripts, now that we've seen that actually earlier date-wise, but since, since the 1600s, we found earlier manuscripts that, that do not have verse 24, which is why it's blank in your Bible. Okay, that little aside, another little historical note. But just so you know, um, it's actually a testimony to the fact that you can trust the text that you have that is God's inspired word because there's so much testimony given to the original manuscripts now that we, the further we study, the more we know, the more we understand. Boy, the text we have is, is the text that was given. 
And so we can have confidence in what we have here. So that's why verse 24 is out, actually, because we can have greater confidence in his word. So, sorry, a little aside there for you history geeks. We're getting back to verse 25. The, the word for strengthen here, it can be translated, as I mentioned, as established. And it has the connotation of, of making something stable, of putting something in place, of, of when you put a post in the ground, you know, you dig a hole, if you've ever done that or not, I'd encourage you not to do that a lot with post hole diggers. It's really kind of a tedious job. You dig a hole, you put a post in the ground, you pour concrete around it, and it, and it strengthens it. It makes it stable. It establishes it. That's the, the imagery we have here, the strengthening, that establishing. And it's got the connotation of making something stable, put firmly in place to set fast, to fix something. And it says God is actually able to do that with us in the gospel, in the message, in the teaching we have, in the book of Romans. You want to be steadfast? You want to be firm? Read through the book of Romans and be strengthened and established by God. This week I was reading about another illustration about a guy named Ira Sankey. He was the music leader for another older guy named Dwight Moody who had this big evangelistic um, campaigns that he used to go on in in the late 1800s. And Ira Ira Sankey was the worship leader for Dwight Moody, and he happened to be traveling in the United States, I think it was in 1876, he was on a steamboat traveling up the Delaware River, and Ira Sankey, not many of us know who that is, but you know, if you're needing a reference, he'd be more like, I guess, the Chris Tomlin or Matt Redman or, I don't know, David Crowder of our day, if you, or for those who really like um, Sovereign Grace Worship. Bob Coughlin, I don't know, somebody like that. So he was up on the deck of the steamboat traveling up the Delaware River and they all kind of gathered on the deck because it was a beautiful starlit night and they, they all gathered up on the deck of the steamboat as they were traveling to their various destinations hoping to get in there in time for Christmas and they're on the deck of the steamer and looking up at the stars and somebody recognized Ira Sankey. He was, he was a very well-known person back then so somebody recognized him and said, hey, look, we have Mr. Sankey with us. Mr. Sankey's on board and then people began to ask him to sing for them. And according to the story, he, he paused. At first he was going to sing a, a Christmas carol because it is Christmas Eve. And, and he paused and he prayerfully considered what he might sing. And even though it was Christmas Eve, he, he felt like he really needed to sing a song called the Shepherd Song. And I'll, I'll read you a line or two from it. It says, Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. Much we need thy tender care. In thy pleasant pastures feed us. For our use thy folds prepare. And then he sang the song and he invited his fellow travelers to sing with him one of the stanzas of, this, as, of the song. And, and the stanza of the song, it went like this. And he says, we are thine, do thou befriend us, or we are yours, do you please befriend us. Be the guardian of our way. And when he finished singing this song, that was the final stanza he finished singing. And he finished singing that stanza. A man kind of came up out of the shadows, this gruff character came up out of the shadows. And he says... Did you ever serve in the Union Army? It's kind of a bizarre question. When you're just finished singing a song, this gruff guy comes up, it's kind of a cost to him, says, did you ever serve in the Union Army? You know, I can imagine the conversation. And Mr. Sankey says, yes, I joined up in the spring of 1860. He says, can you remember if you were doing picket duty in Maryland on a bright moonlit night in 1862? And Sankey says, I, I, did, I did guard duty in 1862 in Maryland, Yes. He says, why? And, and, then, and the man says, I, I did too, but I was serving the Confederate Army. 
And he says, when I saw you standing at your post, I said to myself, that fellow will never get away from here alive. And in the dark, in the shadows, I raised my musket and I took aim at you. He says, I was in the shadow completely hidden while you walked in full moonlight. And just as I was about to pull the trigger, at that instant, you began to sing, just like you did a minute ago, that song. And you sang the line, Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. And then you sang, we are thine, do thou befriend us, be the guardian of our way. And as soon as you sang that, I said to myself, I can't, I can't miss him. I'll shoot him afterwards. But when you sang the line, we are thine, do thou befriend us, be the guardian of our way, I, I put my musket down and I couldn't raise it again. He says, it was impossible for me to take aim, though you still stood in the bright moonlight, a perfect target. Then I thought of the Lord, I looked at you and thought, the Lord who was able to save that man from certain death must surely be great and mighty. God establishes and he protects his people. Now he doesn't always do that physically but he does establish and protect his people to preserve the gospel message so that we can proclaim the good news about who Jesus is. He preserved Iris Sankey, and this man actually didn't know, had not yet given his life to Jesus, and that day on the boat, he did, which is the cool end of the story, so that God protected him so he could proclaim the gospel message. No matter what happens, God's able to make you strong in and through the good news and the preaching of Jesus And he primarily makes us strong and enables us to stand firm in life's difficulties through being grounded in who we are in Jesus Christ. He makes us secure in the fact that we're righteous so that though we sin, though we fail, we might stand firm knowing he makes us acceptable and right through him. He makes us steadfast that no matter what other people might say about you, you can know that you are firm beloved and accepted in him. You've been redeemed by him. If you've placed your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, you can know that you now belong to God and and no one can do anything outside of what God plans. He's made us new. He's adopted us as his daughters and sons. We're completely accepted, approved, and loved by him forever. That's how you're strengthened and established. Jesus is the one who's raised us up, who makes us firm in him. We've been hearing about that all throughout the book of Romans. And God establishes us in the preaching of Jesus Christ, is what Paul says. So so Christian, if you've been lacking joy and faith, place your faith afresh in the righteousness of God that comes to us in Jesus Christ. That's how you're established and made firm. And if you're not a Christian here, which I I hope there's a lot of people in here who aren't Christians. I hope there's people in here who have not yet placed their faith in Jesus. We, we welcome you here. I want you to be here. We want you to, to visit. We want you to understand what we believe. Because we want you to have joy in God. We want you to know the truth of who God is and who you are. That you've been separated from God and yet God made a way that you can be reunited with him. That you can have a, a glorious purpose in life. That he can, he, can, he can redeem you. He can make you one in him. He can make you whole in him. He can heal your most bitter wounds If you lack joy, he will give you joy in him. He doesn't necessarily promise to change our circumstances. And sometimes they get harder. Most of the time it gets harder if you're a Christian. But God establishes us. He strengthens us by his good news. 
And, and, then I, and then I love, I love it says, he's able to strengthen us according to the gospel. It's his grace that saves us. He makes us alive. He chooses us in him. We're his creation. We're, in, we're made in him. We're secure. Nothing and no one can take us from God's hand. That's the truths we're established in. In the book of Romans, we've seen all throughout. No one and nothing, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter what anybody thinks about you because no one else can devalue you in God's eyes. That makes you strong. If you know that nothing can ever make us rejected or dismissed by God, that will strengthen you because we belong to him now. We're completely accepted with the full merit of Jesus. Nothing and no one can make you unworthy if you place your faith in Jesus because we're forever worthy in Jesus now. And what a glorious mystery it's now been revealed. If you're ever gonna be strong, if you're ever gonna come to obedience of faith, it's through this all-surpassingly great news about Jesus and who we are in him by faith. We're made alive, we're made righteous, accepted, adopted, beloved, welcomed. That should stir you, that should strengthen you. We're welcomed into God's presence now and forever. The creator of the universe is now always working for our good. If that doesn't make us strong, I'm not what will. And, and now look in, in verse 26. He's kind of he's erupting. It's been disclosed now through his prophetic writings. It's been made known to all the nations according to the command of the eternal God. That's what Christmas is all about. It's about the disclosing of the prophetic writings now been made known to all the nations according to the command of the eternal God. And that command of God to bring about the obedience of faith. That command of the gospel that brings about the obedience of the faith. That command of God that makes the dead alive. And now Paul, he, he finally closes and he erupts in praise in these final verses. In protecting the truth, God gives us his promises and his power and they're all to his praise. God, in protecting the truth, God gives us his promise and he gives us his power and it's all to his praise. And that's what Paul is all about. He, he's erupting here at the end of the letter to the Romans in praise to God. That's the fourth principle we see that protecting the truth, it results in praise to God. Praise to God. Look in verse 27. He said, verse 27, he says, To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. I think that's the song we're going to sing for all eternity. Giving glory to God forevermore. If you place your faith in Jesus Christ, then you understand why God is wise and why he deserves glory. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you understand that only God, who is the only wise God, could have and did design such a great plan for our rescue and our reunion to him. God planned for his own son to come through a virgin birth. Only the all-wise God would do that. Conceived by the Holy Spirit, both fully God and fully man, he planned that Jesus as a man would live a perfect life that we should have as a substitute for us. The only wise God. We would have done it a different way and it wouldn't have worked. Jesus was born to die as a sacrifice for our sins and in our place, taking the full wrath of God that we deserved to the only wise God be glory. The eternal son, he died as a perfect man in our place, fully taking the punishment, the penalty of the sins that we deserved to the only wise God be glory. And now we've been united to him and joined to him by faith in a union closer than any marriage could ever be. 
You know, when you were single, you might have longed for marriage, and then you realized that marriage, although it's good, it's not the ultimate thing that we need. What we need is union to God. And now we've been joined to him, to God, by faith in Jesus Christ, in a union closer than marriage. Paul talks about that in Ephesians 5. He says, this mystery of marriage, it's really all about this greater mystery, that fact that Jesus unites us to him closer than marriage. And when Jesus died, it's as if we died. And when Jesus was raised, we were raised with him. And now we've been raised to new life in him. And if you place your faith in Jesus, we've been joined together at the right hand of God. God already sees that it's completed. You already are overcome in Christ Jesus. It's just a matter of God making it final by resurrecting us on the final day. I love how Kent Hughes put it when he said, he says, in his wisdom, he has made it possible for those who were once bound to earth by their own sinful depravity to be loosed from their sins and to know the throne of God as eternal home. He's made it possible for men who were lower than the angels to rise higher than the angels. He's made it possible for us to become his own sons and daughters. Only God, only God could come with a plan to rescue and redeem and reconcile us to himself through his son Jesus Christ, and it is glorious. And may it result in praise. Forevermore now we're secure. We're established. We stand firm, praising God through Jesus Christ. For everybody who's repented of their sins and placed their faith in Jesus alone, we have new life. And it's not hopeful thinking. It's true. This is reality. God establishes us, the preaching of Jesus Christ through all eternity. And so I can't think of a better way to end than with Paul proclaim. To the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray and have the the worship band come up and we'll sing to God. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us the glorious doctrine, the glorious teaching of who you are, who we are, how we can be reconciled to you through your son, Jesus Christ. May we protect that truth. May we delight in the promise that you have given to us of crushing Satan under our feet and giving us your peace. And God, may we look in hope, Lord, to the fact that you are able to strengthen us. You are able to sustain us and establish us. And may our hope be in you. And Lord, may it result in praise to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand, please.